Good morning. It's Friday, February 11th. I'm Shemita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Things are getting really tense along the northern border now that Canadian truckers have moved their protests to block a third border crossing, this one with North Dakota. It's gotten to the point that U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg are calling for Canada to use federal powers to get this situation under control. These protests began on January 28th as a way to oppose U.S. and Canadian rules that require cross-border truckers to be fully vaccinated. But since then, they've evolved into a movement against pandemic restrictions in general. According to The Washington Post, there haven't always been a lot of people at these demonstrations, but because they use big rigs and other vehicles to block traffic, they are disruptive. CNN caught up with two protesters. I live in Quebec, so it's a bit more intense than other places in Canada. But look, I can't go skiing. I can't go to Walmart. I can't go to Canadian Tire. I can't go to Home Depot. I can't go to restaurants. I can't go to bars. I can't go to the gym. I want all these mandates gone, and I'm not leaving until all the mandates are gone. The Canadian government announced it's going to be sending more resources and officers to these protests. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he said these blockades are hurting jobs, businesses, and the economy. And we're seeing this in the auto industry, which is already suffering from a shortage of semiconductor chips. Some of the big auto brands like Ford and General Motors, they're saying these demonstrations have forced them to cut production and cancel shifts at some of their sites. Politico maps out a few ways the Canadian government can try to end the blockades. A national security expert in Canada told Politico one solution might be to use the law. She calls this the Al Capone approach. Capone, the gangster, was famously finally arrested for a pretty boring crime, tax violations. This expert says authorities in Canada could threaten to take away truckers' licenses for engaging in illegal activity. Basically, use bureaucracy to put a damper on these demonstrations. Are we headed to a new normal? That's the question lots of people are asking this week as a number of states started lifting mask mandates. And what's notable here, these decisions are coming from Democrat-led states. I'm going to give you a list here. California, Nevada, Oregon, Delaware, Connecticut, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York are all considering lifting some mask mandates. And this is happening without the CDC and the Biden administration being on board. Yeah, the CDC has not budged on its guidelines. It's still recommending masks in K-12 schools, regardless of vaccination status. At a White House press briefing this week, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said the seven-day average of new infections is still pretty high, nearly a quarter million new cases a day. We continue to recommend masking in areas of high and substantial transmission. That's much of the country right now in public indoor settings. Here's what the Washington Post is reporting. This shift by blue states is a sign of a changing political landscape. These Democratic governors acknowledge that patience is running out among their constituents. A recent Monmouth University poll shows seven in 10 Americans agree with this statement. It's time we accept COVID is here to stay and we just need to get on with our lives. 
And the same poll shows support for mask and vaccine mandates is on the decline. Now, lifting pandemic restrictions might seem like good politics, but there isn't a clear consensus around whether it's good public health policy. Only 56 percent of kids between the ages of 12 and 17 have been fully vaccinated. And we still don't have an approved vaccine for children under five. Meanwhile, the United States just recently surpassed 900,000 COVID deaths. These are all signs that the pandemic is not over yet, even if people want it to be. Still, the Post is calling this a pivotal moment in the politics of the pandemic. Politicians are well aware that without significant steps towards normalcy, they could pay the consequences for it come Election Day. Let's turn now to the Olympics, where medals still haven't been handed out in team figure skating because of a controversy involving the Russian figure skating team. The International Testing Agency confirmed today that one of the athletes tested positive for a banned substance weeks before she competed. Just to catch you up on the full swing of the story, earlier this week, 15-year-old Kamila Valieva made history when she became the first female skater in the Olympics to land a quadruple jump. She won both of her skates in the team event and almost beat her own world record in her short program. She finished 15 points ahead of the skater who came in second, which is a huge margin. Her performance should have secured Russia the top spot on the podium. Here's what the Olympics' official testing agency clarified today. At the end of December... Valieva reportedly tested positive for a heart drug that's on the World Anti-Doping Agency's list of banned substances. She was briefly suspended from competition until Russia's Anti-Doping Committee lifted that suspension. It's now up to the International Olympic Committee to decide what should happen with the medals. And The Washington Post is reporting an expedited hearing will determine whether Valieva will be allowed to continue competing at the Olympics. We want to give you some context here about the team and about this particular athlete. So you've seen that Russian athletes are competing under the ROC banner, right? That stands for the Russian Olympic Committee. That's because as far back as 2015, Russia as a country was banned from competing at major international events after they were caught running one of the most extensive and sophisticated doping programs the sporting world has ever seen. The doping scheme at the 2014 Winter Games was so elaborate, it involved members of the Russian intelligence services who passed bottles of clean urine through a hole in the wall to replace the drug-tainted samples left by the athletes. Because of all that, Russia has been in a years-long sports exile. Now, another thing to keep in mind with this Russian skater is that she's just 15 years old. And by the rules, she is classified as a protected person. This means when it comes to doping, she should not be subject to the same kind of consequences as an older athlete. But it also suggests that if there is blame to be had here, it should not fall on her, which is why so many people are now talking about the Russian coach. Yes, Vox explains this coach figured out how to push her athletes to get the highest possible scores. Because you see, in skating, you get more points for doing risky jumps than you do for doing some of the safer tricks. Vox reports on how there are growing concerns in the skating community that this Russian coach, and many coaches in general, are pushing young skaters to their limits and possibly putting them in danger. As we wait for the IOC to decide what's going to happen next, 
Some people are calling this moment a test of the ideals of the Olympics. In a statement to NPR, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee said, quote, the whole credibility of the Olympics stands teetering on the edge. Now, if the Russian figure skaters lose their gold medal, it'll most likely go to the second place winners, the American team. This Sunday is the 56th Super Bowl. The Los Angeles Rams are set to play the Cincinnati Bengals. And millions of Americans will, for the first time, legally have money on the game. Now we have more than half the states have legalized betting. That's Ira Boudway. He's a reporter with Bloomberg. More than 100 million Americans can bet legally, and more states are coming soon. We'll soon be in a place where more than half of Americans can place bets. And so this Super Bowl is really the biggest yet and the first where we've reached that tipping point. This is a big deal because for so long, the NFL and other major sports leagues fought the expansion of legal betting outside Nevada. And that's because of a hard lesson they learned in 1946. It was in that year that two players from the New York Giants were offered bribes to throw the game to the Chicago Bears. That got the league worried about betting. And the reason was, if big money is involved and players can be bought, it could mess with the integrity of the game. Things changed when, in 2018, the Supreme Court opened the door for states to decide whether they want to legalize sports betting. And since then, more than two dozen got on board. Part of it was they had little choice. Legal sports betting was going to expand. And part of it was that they realized that this was a huge economic opportunity. A huge economic opportunity for everyone, including the NFL. The league expects to make a billion dollars every year from deals with sports betting companies by the end of the decade. Analysts from Goldman Sachs estimate that the online betting apps like DraftKings or FanDuel could surpass broadcast and cable markets to become the main way people watch games. Boudway says the fact that you can place a bet on an app on your phone is making it easy for first-time gamblers to get in on the action. More and more people who've never betted before are trying it. Now you can bet on individual players. What color will the Gatorade be when they pour it over the coach's head at the end of the game? Who will score the first touchdown? What will the number of the jersey be of the player who scores the first touchdown? You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And check out our weekend interview show, In Conversation. This week is a fun one. I speak with Claire McNear. She's a reporter at The Ringer who's written a lot about Jeopardy. And we talked about how, despite losing its beloved host, Alex Trebek, the show is as popular as ever. It is totally strange that this is a show that competes with, like, major sporting programming. Like, it makes no sense that Jeopardy is this huge, huge hit. But it is. Enjoy that weekend listen. We'll be back with the news on Monday. Monday.